thanks for checking out this message from Springmount Church. For more information about us and what we do, visit our website, springmount.church. Why not check out all the different groups that run throughout each week in Barrow and on Walney? And join us every Sunday from 11am at Salt House Pavilion in Barrow Infernos. If you would like us as a church to pray for you, please email prayer at springmount.church or sign up on our website for monthly news straight to your inbox. Amen. <laughs> okay, Brill, great to see you. Great to have you with us this morning. Um, great if you're new, if great if, you, if you're old, if you've been a while, if it's been a while since you've come, welcome. And uh, we've been looking at the character of Samuel in the Bible. We're not going through every chapter. Uh, this, in fact, is the penultimate um, message on Samuel. Next week's the last one. That's how penultimate works. It's very clever like that. <laughs> And today we're going to look at chapter 7, which is helped by God. Samuel was helped by God. And actually, whoever you are this morning, you can be helped by God. I want to ask you a question. Where does time go? You know, it wasn't that long ago that I had a full head of black hair, didn't have to wear glasses, and I was, you know, obviously a real catch. (laughs) My stunning personality is still there, obviously, but hey... Um, next week, my daughter officially gets married here, okay, so, but it doesn't seem that long ago that she was hiding behind my legs after a service, because she was quite a shy, uh, and she just wanted to be near her dad, I think, that's right, isn't it? Yeah, she was just scared of everybody, and she just wanted to hide behind me, and it doesn't seem that long ago, and this year, I realised as I was doing this, it'll be six years since I, I think it's six years since I stopped teaching in primary school in any way, and that's just flown by. Also, it's 12 months since Paul and Ruth got married today, it's their wedding anniversary, you know, and two become three very shortly. So enjoy it. <laughs> enjoy it. But I remember being young, you know, and making... Don't laugh. Was that you, Hilly? <laughs> I remember being young, you know, making swings out of old tyres. They were good years. Good years, good years of tyres. For those of you who don't understand, okay. But I think the other thing about time is we need to make sure that time doesn't, doesn't get away from us. That we don't waste time. You know, at the end of chapter 3 of Samuel, we see this young boy and it says, after he's received his call from God, it says, Samuel never let any of his words fall to the ground. In other words, he didn't waste words. But we begin chapter 7, or just the end of chapter 6 actually, and basically the Israelites have wasted time. They've wasted time. We see uh, Samuel, who was a young boy, is now a man, and Israel has turned and walked away from God. So as we look at this today, let me ask you, how close are you to God? How close are you to God? Whether you're a Christian or not, we have a distance that we put in place between us and God. We put that there because we choose to step away when it's uncomfortable, or we choose to step away when we don't want to be told, actually, this is the right thing to do. And so how close are we to God? Because Israel at this point has totally turned and walked away from God. Maybe not surprisingly because we saw the priests were scoundrels and misrepresenting God. 
And we see the Philistines that are constant thorns in the side of Israel, constantly tormenting Israel and uh, living on the edge of the promised land. They have captured the Ark of the Covenant. What's special about the Ark of the Covenant? It symbolized the presence of God. So the Philistines, this enemy, has taken physically the symbolized the symbolized nature of the presence of God, actually the presence of God. They've stolen it and they have, they have oppressed God's people. But by the end of chapter 6, we see they return it. Why do they return it? Because they start being afflicted with a plague. Because they've got this ark that they shouldn't have. And wherever they move it to, the plague follows. So they go, we don't want that anymore. Let's give it back to Israel. And God starts to chase after his people. So however far you step away, God is pursuing you because he loves you. He's pursuing you because he loves you. I'm going to read from 1 Samuel. I'm going to start for the end of chapter 6, verse 21. I am going to read from the message version this morning. 1 Samuel chapter 6, verse 21 says this. They sent emissaries to Kiriath-Jerim saying, the Philistines have returned the chest of God Come down and get it. And they did. Chapter 7. The men of Kiriath-Jerim came and got the chest of God and delivered it to the house of Abinadab on the hill. They ordained his son Eleazar to take responsibility for the chest of God. And from the time that the chest came to rest in Kiriath-Jerim, a long time passed. Twenty years it was. And throughout Israel, there was a widespread, fearful movement towards God. 20 years. It comes back, and then they sort of put it on a shelf for 20 years. They sort of forget about it, put it out of the way. It isn't in its right place. The presence of God hasn't completely been returned to where it needs to be. So even though they've gone away from God, they're still keeping some distance from God. Is that like us today? Maybe we've been away from God, we've been ups and downs in life, maybe we've had times where we've been far away, times when we've been close, and today God says, return to me, return to me, not just a little bit, not just a step, but come into my presence and live there daily. That is what chapter 7 and Samuel's character is about, is daily living with God's presence, daily recognizing what he can do to help us. 20 years past, time wasted, missing out on the best, and it gets left and forgotten. So for 20 years, it's still been tough. Before that, it was tough. The Philistines were not pleasant masters. They would have been grumbling about their circumstances. They would have been complaining about the Philistines being in charge. But here we start to see something other than a complaining about the situation. How have many of us complained about our circumstances? Anyone? Yeah, I think we're all being dishonest if we don't all put our hand up, to be fair. You know, I think we often complain about our circumstances. The Israelites were in a situation where they were complaining about their circumstances, but they weren't doing what they needed to do to do anything about it. But verse 2 says this, a widespread fearful movement towards God. In some versions, it says Israel mourned because they thought God had abandoned them. So they've gone from a place where they've probably complained about their circumstances to suddenly realizing that they need to sort of do something about it. And so they start to turn back to God. They start to repent. They start to move closer. They start to recognize what they've done. 
And Samuel says this, 1 Samuel 7, verses 3 to 4, says this. Then Samuel addressed the house of Israel. If you are truly serious about coming back to God, clean house. Get rid of the foreign gods and fertility goddesses. Ground yourselves firmly in God. Worship him and him alone, and he'll save you from Philistine oppression. They did it. They got rid of the gods and goddesses, the images of Baal and Ashtoreth, and they gave their exclusive attention and service to God. So in steps Samuel to this situation. Israel have stopped just complaining about their circumstances and realized they need to turn to God. That's repentance, to turn to God. The man who didn't let any words wasted, a man of character who ministered before the Lord, even when he didn't know the Lord, says this. And I think we need to hear these words ourselves, me included, this morning. If you're truly serious about God. Yeah, I'll say it again. That's the message of this beginning of this chapter. If you're truly serious about God. When have you been truly serious about something? No, not very often maybe. I know there's some keen cyclists in the room, you know. So the first thing you need to do if you're a cyclist is get a bike. That shows you serious a little bit, doesn't it? Can't really cycle without a bike. Okay, so if you're truly serious, you might get a bike. But then also you need a helmet to protect yourself, yeah? Is that right? You need a helmet. Then you need lights, lights. And then the final thing is the lycra. I nearly asked Guy and Jill and Francis to come in there. You have got lycra, haven't you? Yes, yes. I know they're truly serious about cycling. Why? Because they've got lycra. Okay, the bike. You know, I saw a guy walk into Aldi the other day in front of me who clearly was, he got out of a car, but he clearly had been riding his bike and I just thought, I don't need to see that. You know, I really don't need to see that on a, on a Friday morning before I have a, my breakfast. But anyway, but when you've been truly serious, I started swimming and Ros disowns me at the swimming baths because swimming's boring. Oh, no, it is. No, I'm sorry. I've done it. It is, right? I spend my time thinking I can't wait to get in that hot tub and at least give five minutes of reward, okay? But I've got goggles, which have got like mirrored lenses, only because they were cheap. And I've bought myself some underwater headphones. And so I come out of the change rooms looking like I think, oh, I've got the gear. And Roz is like, I'm not with you. <laughs> and then she'll talk to me. I'll be like, what? Because I can't hear because I've got these headphones. So actually, I'm serious because I do want to swim because I know it's going to be good for me. But actually, I've not, I've not taken it lightly. I haven't got a swimming cap to protect my hair. don't think that's necessary. But actually, truly serious. If I was really serious, I'd be going every day. I'd be swimming different strokes. That's not the TV programme before I launch into a theme tune. I'd be timing my lengths. I'd be going further. I'd be making sure I was eating all the right things. I'm doing some of those things, but I'm not truly serious. I'm only doing bits of it. Can you think of things that you do that you're a little bit serious about? Don't let that be church. Don't let that be God. If you are truly serious about God, what does Samuel say? Clean house. He doesn't mean go around dusting and hoovering. Okay, Naomi would be the holiest in the, in the house. That's right, isn't it? Okay, it doesn't mean that. It means get rid. 
Get rid of the stuff that blocks you from God. Get rid of the things that hinder. For them, it was foreign gods and fertility goddesses. And you might say, well, I've not got those. I haven't got any statues or idols I worship. There'll be something. It might be cycling. It might be lycra. Guy might get in his lycra and Jill might go, oh, guy. (laughs) Who knows? Sorry, guys. Oh, sorry. But step one in repenting might be to remove. Remove the things that get in the way, the things that are not what God would really want for us. That can be an item. That can be an attitude. It can be a thing that you do. It can be a hobby. It can be an activity. And God might say, that is getting in the way of me. And so Samuel was told, get, get clean. If you're serious, if you're truly serious, get rid Then he goes on to say, and ground yourselves firmly in God. The verses, I think, that Chloe and Michael have chosen are the prayer for the Ephesians. In Ephesians 3.14, I always remember Graham Stanford from Cape and Ray talking about this verse all the time because it says about being rooted in love, that you should be rooted in love. Samuel says to the Israelites, you need to be grounded in God. You need to be rooted in God. What is God? God is love. You need to be rooted in him. Stop jumping out of the soil and the pot that he's put you in and be rooted in him and give thanks for him in your circumstances. Ephesians 3.14 in the message says this, and I ask him that with both feet planted firmly on love, you'll be able to take in with all followers of Jesus the extravagant dimensions of Christ's love. How do we take in the extravagant dimensions of Christ's love? By being grounded in it, by being rooted in it, by having both feet firmly planted. Not one foot in the pot of soil of God and one foot in the pot of the world. Both feet firmly planted in who he is and what he does. Get rid of the hate. Get rid of the lies. Get rid of the hurtful looks and words. Get rid of the grudges. Get rid of the gossip. Get rid of those things and ground ourselves in God. And Samuel says, worship him and him alone. And what's the result of this? And he will save you. He will save you. There's a promise. Get rid and get God. Get rid and be grounded. You know, this morning I want to say to you, you've got to be all in all out. Don't be stuck in the middle. Just be all in. All in for God because then his promises are yes and amen. Don't have half measures because the Israelites wasted 20 years of missing out on the best. How many years have we missed out on because we've stuck one foot in the world and one foot in God's camp? How many years? Both us as individuals us as individuals and the whole church, both us and church worldwide. Return to be serials. 1 Samuel 7 verse 4, they did it. Samuel says, you've got to do this. And their result, their response, they did it. They were obedient. That's step two of, of repentance. Samuel spoke as God's mouthpiece. They listened and they acted. Do you know, they needed to get back to where they'd once been. And getting back means getting rid And getting back means going all in. The next step in getting back to God is 1 Samuel chapter 7, 5 to 6. Next, Samuel said, get everybody together at Mizpah and I'll pray for you. I'm going to stop there. You can have it up on the screen. Get everyone together at Mizpah and I'll pray for you. Prayer. 
first step is recognising you've got to step closer. The second step is you've got to get people praying for you and with you. Samuel says, get everyone together and I'll pray for you. In some versions it says, I'll intercede for you. It's not something to be done on our own. At the end of a service, during the final songs, we often say, if you want to go for prayer this morning, go for prayer. Why do we do it? The exact same reason that Samuel says it here. Get everybody together and I'll pray for you. You want someone to pray and stand with you, go for prayer. That's biblical. You can't do it just on your own. Don't be so proud or, or so stuck in your ways that you think, I'm never going to go there. I don't need it. I can pray at home on my own. Yes, you can. But so could the Israelites. And Samuel said, get everyone together and I'll do it with you. Prayer together is helpful. Interceding together, not something to be done on our own. You know, sometimes it's hard to ask for help. But sometimes it's even harder to ask for the right help. And I believe the right help sometimes is to go and say, I need prayer. I need you to stand with me. You know, when I read this verse, I think of Moses on that hill during the battle. He was told, if, if you keep your arms high and lifted to the heavens, you'll win. And he was an older man and occasionally he had to sit down, but he didn't take the risk of going on his own and saying, right, I can do this. God's asked me to do something simple. I'm going to do this. He didn't take that risk. He had two people with him who stood either side of him and lifted his arms up when he was tired. Because when his arms fell, the battle was being lost. So when his arms were raised, he had two people either side, literally interceding for him, getting in the way for him, stepping into the gap for him. Do you not think we all need that? Yeah. So when we offer prayer, don't think there's, a sh- there's no shame in it. You're basically saying what the people of Israel said, here, I'm up for that. Yes, if someone's going to pray for me, I'm in. If somebody's going to stand with me and pray over me, they don't need to know everything. Samuel didn't know everything that was going wrong. But he interceded for them. That's why we pray. That's why we do it. That's what Gaz and Russell have set up on a, on a daily basis from one till two to intercede for our town, for our church, for our people. And they're seeing things change. We're seeing things change. Why? Because they're standing in the gap and interceding and they're praying for us. And they're standing up for us. 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 1 in the NLT says this. Paul writes to Timothy, I urge you first of all to pray for all people. Ask God to help them. Intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. That's what we do at the back of church when people go for prayer. Ask God to help them. Ask God to intercede for them and ask God and give thanks for the people themselves. That's why we do it. And Samuel says here, I will pray for you. I will intercede for all of you. Verse six, so everyone assembled at Mizpah. Can you see the obedience again? Coming back to God requires obedience. We might not like it. We might not like that we have to get rid of that grudge we hold. We might not like the fact that we have to get rid of that that feeling sometimes that we feel good about. We might not like those things. But God says, give it to me. Cast your cares on me. So everyone assembled at Mizpah. They drew water from the wells and poured it out before God in a ritual of cleansing. They fasted all day and prayed. We have sinned against God. So Samuel prepared the Israelites for holy war there at Mizpah. You know, sometimes at school, were you ever kept in as a whole class? Hands up if you ever kept in for a whole class. Okay, hands down. Any teachers in? Hands up if you ever kept a whole class in. Boo. 
okay? Because it wasn't everybody, was it? But you kept everybody in, you know? And that was everybody having to be sorry for the things that had happened. We had a music teacher, I think I've spoken about him before, who, he was, he was, he was a Christian actually, and I feel very bad about it now. But um, I, I didn't do any of the naughty things, honest. Um, but people set fire to the bin in his lessons, and they used to crawl under the desks to the front and see how many times they could go forwards and backwards. And when his back was turned, they'd throw the top off the glockenspiel beaters at the bass drum in the corner. And oh, it was, it was hilarious, honest. Not for him. Uh, he runs a guest house now in Scotland, so I think he's doing okay. Uh, and my mum and dad still see him. But um, the whole class were kept as a punishment. Other times, I'm told, because obviously I don't know this, it was simply more personal and you had to report to a certain place at a certain time because of what you had personally had done. I obviously never, never got into trouble like that. That's not true, I did. And I forged my mum's signature on the slip, which also got me into bigger trouble. So there we go. There's my confession this morning. So sometimes there's a public repentance. And here we see a public repentance of all of Israel getting together, saying sorry to God, and then pouring out this water. This isn't seen anywhere else. It's similar to other things, but it's only here in the Bible where this happens, where the people just suddenly decide to perform this ritual that was to show cleansing. And, and basically they poured out, they were washing. What were they doing? They were getting rid of the dirt and saying, God, clean us. We're sorry. Maybe sometimes as a church we need to do that. And there's some verses as a church that we cling on to and are part of our vision. And they come from 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. We regularly come back to these, but I think it's relevant. And it says this, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, humble yourself is saying, I'm sorry, I've got it wrong. And pray and seek my face. And this is the key bit that people miss out and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Do we want to see healing in Barrow? Yeah. Do you know what? That verse tells us we need to come to God, humble ourselves and pray and seek his face and turn our back on the stuff. Get rid of the things that get in the way. Get rid of the things that are against God and go completely all in for him. And the promise is... He will forgive and he will heal. You know, sometimes there's a need to do it privately, but if we're serious about getting back to God, then can I say this morning, don't waste time. Don't spend the next 20 years coming to church hearing the same message before you do something. Don't wait until you're on your deathbed before you say, can you come and pray with me? Don't wait until it's just too late for your children to pray with them. Don't wait and waste that time. Do it today. Because that's what the Israelites did. They heard and they obeyed. And they said, right, let's do it. And what did they experience? They experienced forgiveness. And then we see what they experienced. 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse, sorry, chapter 7, verses 7 to 11 says this. When the Philistines heard that Israel had assembled at Mizpah, the rulers of the Philistines came up to attack them. When the Israelites heard of it, they were afraid because of the Philistines. Fear creeps in when we do these things. They said to Samuel, do not stop crying out to the Lord our God for us that he may rescue us from the hand of the Philistines. Then Samuel took a suckling lamb and sacrificed it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. He cried out to the Lord on Israel's behalf and the Lord answered him. While Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, while Samuel was sacrificing, in that moment of repentance, in that moment of interceding, in that moment of giving to God what was God's, 
It says this. While he was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to engage Israel in battle. But that day, the Lord thundered with loud thunder against the Philistines and threw them into such a panic that they were routed before the Israelites. That thorn in their side. The Philistines often represent sin because it keeps coming back all again. And God deals with it completely. Why? Because they've stepped back towards him. Because they've said they're sorry. And because they've said we can't do it on our own. And because they've offered what's God's to him. And God steps in. You know, when Israel was turning to worship the Philistines, the Philistines were getting ready to attack. Sorry, get that right. Reminded me as I read this of my dad once speaking in a church in Bury, and he was stood at the front, and I was sat in the congregation. I must have only been about 15, I think. And uh, there suddenly started to be this commotion in the back, uh, the back porch, and he's speaking away. And the next thing you know, we had to be evacuated because some youngsters had thrown petrol bombs through the doors. I don't know whether it was my dad, and they just didn't like him. Um, but we are under attack. Yeah, we might not have a Philistine gang waiting outside Barrow to come and get us, but each one of us is under very different attacks. Some of it's physical, some of it's emotional, some of it's spiritual, some of it's all three. But this tells us not to be afraid, but to keep giving to God and keep saying to God, God, help me. And what happens is in that moment, just as the Philistines are going to attack in that moment, God deals with them. God deals with them. God is gracious, and as his people return, he reacts with grace. He helps. Do you know, the Philistines were an enemy that attacked from outside. They were a group from outside the promised land that came in and attacked God's people. But in this verse, it actually says about the Amorites as well. It talks about the Amorites being at peace with them. So verses 12 to 17 says this, then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen. He named it Ebenezer, saying, thus far the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and they stopped invading Israel's territory. Throughout Samuel's lifetime, the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines. The towns from Ekron to Gath that the Philistines had captured from Israel were restored to Israel. Restoration, God brings restoration. Brings restoration when we turn back to him. And Israel delivered the neighboring territory from the hands of the Philistines. And there was peace between Israel and the Amorites. The Amorites were a nation that Israel hadn't chased out of the promised land. So the Israelites had this attack from outside, but they also had a lack of peace inside because these Amorites occasionally would come at them. But because of Samuel's leadership and because Samuel said, get back to God, they had peace outside, but they also had peace within even though there was potential for harm. Do you know, God brings a peace from outside and within. But we've got to play our part. Don't waste time. Don't waste time. You know, the last thing I want to say about repentance and about turning back to God and developing our character is once we've come back, we need to grow. We need to grow. Three things about growing very quickly. First, you need to mark it. You need to mark growth. We uh, have got, there was a piece of wallpaper at home for the wall of Auntie Glenn's house where the children over the years stood against it and she marked their height and put the date. 
And when we sold the house, we were a bit worried. We thought, oh, what a shame. That piece of history is gone. And just the other week, our neighbour came across and they'd steamed it with care and they'd removed this whole strip of wallpaper and said, we thought you might like this. Wow. That is a mark of how our children have grown. Even Michael's on it, I think, when he started, uh, when he started grooming on our doorstep. But anyway, <laughs> he's horses, sorry. Need to make that clear. <coughs> but we've got a record of how our children have grown. Why? Because it was marked. Somebody took the time to mark it. And here in Samuel, in this chapter, Samuel takes a stone to mark the moment. And the stone's called Ebenezer, which literally means God helps. So whenever they saw that stone, what would they think? God helps. Now, I'm not asking you to stick a load of stones in your garden and give them names, because your neighbours might get a bit worried. But who here journals? Who here writes down when they've had an answer to prayer? Who here writes down when they've read a verse that has really spoken to them in that moment? Who here writes down a, an answer to prayer? Who here writes down something they've prayed for and keeps writing it down until they see anything progress? There's people as we sit and as I speak that I see furiously writing away and I always think, I hope I'm saying the right thing here because they're marking it and it could be used against me. Who knows? But actually, we need to mark it. Mark it. So that's the first sign of growth, that you mark the growth. And he marked it with this stone. Show the time. It needs to be marked and celebrated. John Newton, who wrote the song Amazing Grace, wrote these words. He was a slave trader who became a Christian, and he wrote this. And I think these are words we can all echo. He wrote this. I am not the man I ought to be. I am not the man I wish to be. And I am not the man I hope to be. But... By the grace of God, I am not the man I used to be. That is an, an identifier of growth, that we're not who we used to be. We're not perfect, far from it, but we're not who we used to be. That's marked growth. We've not made it yet, but let's stop wasting time. Verse 14 talks about that peace. God brought peace. That's growth. When we can have peace outside and peace within, that's growth. That's a growth because we're getting to know the peace that passes understanding. doesn't mean we'll have it all easy. The Israelites didn't have it all easy, but they had a peace. Learning to have that peace. Seeing changes too. And finally, these verses, it says this, verse 15. Samuel continued as Israel's leader all the days of his life. Continued all the days of his life. From year to year, he went on a circuit from Bethel to Gilgal to Mizpah, judging Israel in all those places, but he always went back to Ramah where his home was, and there he also held court for Israel, and he built an altar there to the Lord. So what else is a sign of growth? Do you know, life is not going to be the spectacular every day. They had this moment of thunder where the enemy was defeated and they could go, wow, let's get a stone and call it Ebenezer. But then actually, Samuel goes back to the everyday routine. That's growth, that we can have God in that every day that we serve him. Not spectacular thunder when he prays, but sometimes just the daily routine and how we handle it faithfully. 
That's maturity. That's growth. So, three things to finish, and the band can come up. Firstly, we need to get back to him. And getting back means getting rid. Getting rid of the things that aren't of him. Secondly, we need to get help and get praying. And that might be this morning. Cue for the prayer team would be amazing, wouldn't it? Everybody wanting that help. And finally, get growing. And mark that growth. And see that you can honestly say, I'm not who I used to be. Not through your own efforts, but through the grace and help of God. Let's pray. Band can come up. Father God, this morning, I pray, Lord, that you will use your word as a reminder to each one of us. If we're not a Christian this morning, Father, I pray, Lord, we might not be getting back to God, but getting to God for the first time. Father, show us the things in our lives that we need to bring to you and say, God, I'm sorry, whether that's personally, individually, or whether that's corporately as a church. Father God, help us to worship you and be all in on that. Help us not to just be Sunday Christians. Help us not to just be when it suits us. Help us to recognize that you're the God of help when we go all in with you, when we're obedient to you. Father God, help us to have that peace, even though there may be enemies at the gate or enemies within. Help us to have the peace that can only come from you and help us to humble ourselves and pray and turn and see our town and our nation healed and forgiven. In the name of Jesus, amen.